Transformers Chronicles. I am Delvin, aka The Dark Web. In case you're new to the show, welcome, and let me tell you what this thing is all about. We are going for a wild, crazy ride, chronicling the awesome, wacky, and sometimes corny world of the Marvel Comics Transformers series, but I will not be going at it alone. First up, let's bring up a man who, despite his lifelong comics, has never encountered Marvel's Transformers until now, and he's encountered a heck of it at this point. But he still wants to see what the fuss is all about. These robots in disguise we have with us. Founder of the Long Box Say, Pat Sampson, a.k.a. DJ Christatos. Pat, tell me something good. Well, Delvin, I'm, you know, you told me to come along with you, Jonathan and Maggie. We're going to go on a road trip. Yeah. Said it was some kind of vacation. You know what? This vacation stinks. Mm. And then you said you'll give us some comic books, and you're holding that comic book upside down, Delvin. How yeah. do you even read it? Look, all I need from you is to get your butt back in the car <sighs> and stop with the graffiti, and really stop with the complaining. No one likes a complainer. I want some what turkey, happens, then. You know what happens to complainers? You almost get hit with falling rocks. Oh, okay. Yeah. All right, That's I'll get back warning. in the car. Jeez. Yeah. Don't make me turn this thing around. <laughs> Are we there yet? No. Did we get to the comics yet? No. Did we get to uh, more than MCI yet? Next, we have our Transformers expert, the lesser half of Married with Comics. The provider of knowledge, his name is Jonathan Schaefer Haynes. Hi, yeah. Delvin. Hi. Hi. Hi there, Jonathan. How's it going? It's going okay. All right. Boy, this road trip sure stinks that we're on here with Pat putting graffiti up everywhere and everything. I know, and I get the feeling that two cars are following us, and and there's this whole thing going on, but we're going to get to it. We're going to get to that. Did we get to Lester Meets the Eye yet? <laughs> no, we have not. Just stay in the back seat, Pat. <laughs> Hang it. Not that anyone asked me, but there's not much going on here in my life, you know, in January of 2021. Uh, it's been some, eh, just basic life, you know. A little jujitsu, little work, little work and jujitsu. That's about it. My life's pretty tame. So I'm going to move on to someone a lot less tame, a lot more exciting. She graces us with her presence once more on Transforms Chronicles. Her name is Maggie Schaefer Haynes. Welcome back, Maggie. And do you have anything brilliant to regale us with? Uh, well, since the last time I was on the show, I've put new holes in my face. <laughs> you have? Yeah. Uh, it was my Christmas present to myself. I got my ears redone and I got my nose pierced. Finally. I've wanted to do that for a long time, but chicken out more than once. So I went ahead and did that for myself. I don't, for Christmas. I don't blame you. I have zero holes in my face. and yeah. But that is the kind of countercultural expression I can get behind, unlike Pat's constant graffiti. Graffiti, yeah. yeah. That's a real problem. It's always the quiet ones who are the troublemakers. I, of course, stick with beat poetry. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Have, have we gotten to Transformers Spotlight yet? No. <laughs> no. No, we have not. No. God. Yeah, somebody open a window. It smells in here. It's because of what you... This podcast is already getting on my dang nerves. All right. We introduced everyone, right? We introduced Pat. We introduced John. We introduced Maggie. We are tackling all of Marvel's Transformers comics in order, starting with issue one. 
and working our way to the series end at issue 80. We will answer any questions that are brought up to the best of our ability and see how these books we loved as a kid hold up to our cynical adult eyes. This podcast is guaranteed to be, you guessed it, more than meets the eye. So John and Maggie and Pat, Pat, leave the window up. Vacations are the pits. Yeah, yeah. Leave it up. No, no, seriously, you want you want him to roll it down. <laughs> oh, Let's find out what happens when two quick-changing Decepticons take a tour across America right after this promo. Pat! The Transformers will return after these messages. It was the early 1990s, the Dark Ages. The Transformers toy line was over. Finished. Without toys in the shelves to advertise, the comic book series created to sell them was likewise cancelled after an 80-issue run. Then, the impossible happened. I didn't believe you. I thought you were lying to me. Transformers were back in toy stores. And, perhaps even more importantly, Transformers were back on the comic book shelves as well. But this run of Transformers comic proved to be somewhat different than what we'd seen before. I can implode neutrons! All of a sudden, the battle between the Autobots and Decepticons threatened to have real consequences. That was a low-yield neutron implosion! That was also the precise location of our transport! And brawn! Exploding off of the comic book pages with darker, grittier storylines and vibrant, some might even say, neon colors. The, the very first thing I noticed was a very 90s art style. Truly. This was not your father's Autobot. Not Your Father's Autobot is a 13-episode, limited-run podcast beginning in early 2021. Join me, Mark Baker-Wright, also known as GB Blackrock, and my brother, Nick Wright, as we go through the entire Marvel US run of Transformers Generation 2, issue by issue, as we look at the series that brought Transformers back from oblivion. After this series, Transformers will never be the same. Look for Not Your Father's Autobot on Podbeam via blackrockstoybox.blogspot.com or wherever podcasts may be found. We now return to the Transformers. Welcome back. The issue we will be covering today is Transformers issue 23. And here's John with the cover description. Optimus Prime points at us from the quarter box like he always will forever and ever. Underneath the Marvel 25th logo, which, unlike Optimus Prime, which will be reign there forever, the Marvel 25th will go away after a few. The more than meets the eye is in yellow, and the Transformers logo is in white with a dark trim. Herb Trippy has brought us an action scene surrounding the Statue of Liberty, with the camera's POV being toward the bottom of the statue and off to one side. The statue has been vandalized with the phrase, Humans are wimps, with backwards S's in huge purple. Some would say... Decepticon purple. And speaking of Decepticons, two new Decepticons, Runabout and Runamuck, are shown in the air, engaged in battle with two helicopters and several soldiers firing. The background shows an orange and pink uh, with clouds. And that is this month's cover, Delvin. Yes, it is, John. Yes, it is. And I suppose we should talk about it, right? We, we usually have some comments back and forth that we do. And let's start with Pat. Pat, what do you think about this cover for Transformers 23? Well, seeing this cover, it reminds me of some of the other covers we've seen here on the LBC, and I would be remiss if I didn't talk about 
the rakish angle that you get from this mm. of looking up at it. At the I'm very excited. I got my long box crusade bingo card here and I got a, <laughs> Oh yeah. <laughs> rakish angle. <laughs> what other ones are on there? Uh, we have fancy. Oh, okay. We have um, John babbles on for over five minutes for something he could have explained in 45 seconds or less. Coming up. Uh, yeah, it is pretty good. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I think there's, I like the action that's on this uh, that's happening. You have the helicopters coming in, shooting at the two robots, and then uh, people on the Statue of Liberty shooting back down. I, I really like it. I think it's really neatly drawn. And every time I see the Statue of Liberty, um, I get a little heartfelt for it. Uh, being able to visit there uh, several years back now and actually see it in its full glory, I thought it was really cool. And it reminds me of that day that I was there. So why have you been complaining about all the landmarks that we've gone through if, you know, the Statue of Liberty is so special? Well, because so far we've only been to that one football stadium in Wyoming to be yeah. fair. Yeah. I was like, who's the, I don't even know who these people, what, the, what team this is. Look, it's the Cowboys, okay? It's the Cowboys. It's the state. Maggie, what are your comments on this cover? I'm, I'm not starting with you guys right now. I'm not. Uh, I, too, have gotten to see the Statue of Liberty in real life person. Cool. Um, it was a very long ago now. I was like a sophomore in high school. Um, and it was, it was really cool. I remember thinking, it's very small. It's a lot smaller than you'd think it would be. When it's on camera, it looks huge. Um, and in the cover, you know, from the angle that it's at from the bottom up, it makes it look really big as well. Um, but it's, it's a great cover. I like the action. It depicts something that happens in the issue. Um, and I love the humans are wimps because it makes me think of that scene from Life of Brian Platten, graffiti, <laughs> and then John Cleese as a Roman soldier comes over and corrects his Latin and tells him to go away and never do it again. And it's a very funny scene. Romani. Aunt. What is aunt? Go. Conjugate the verb to go. Here, uh, eh. Uh, is it. It must. It is. Aunt. So aunt is. Uh, uh, third person plural, uh, present indicative. Uh, they go. But Romans go home is an order, so you must use the. Yeah, imperative. Which is. Um. 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 E. How e. many Romans? Plural. Plural. Ite. Ite. That's the only thing I can think of the whole time I was reading this comic. I have never seen Life of Brian, so I feel left out. Pat, have you seen Life of Brian? I have not seen Life of Brian. Add that to my Monday mo monthly movie muckaboats list. Oh, that th oh thank God. Thank God I was not the only person who hadn't seen it. <laughs> so I've heard of it, but it's I was just it. about to suggest telling um, Rick because I think Rick there would you rush you to, the, even though you got to do two aliens so far, yeah. he, he would still rush you up to the list to be able to watch that with you for the first time. Mm. The, the theories of Monday monthly movie muck about could literally just be him showing me movies I've never seen. <laughs> <laughs> I would listen to the heck out of the podcast called do. Rick and Delvin watch, watch movies, movies that Delvin hasn't seen there before. I would also watch Pat and Delvin watch movies that Pat and Delvin have. You know, we've actually thought about doing a movie, me and Delvin since Jared, uh, this is off topic, but since Jared and Jason have action film face off me and Delvin, my my idea with me and Delvin was, uh, what was it? Comic film laugh off, and we would do comic film. Uh, you that know, would be a really good idea, films. or even like romantic romantic comedy rom coms or say something say like that. Or? Delvin and Pat cover rom coms. <laughs> <laughs> 
You have to watch Pride and Prejudice. You have to watch Kate and Leopold. <laughs> well, Pride and Prejudice is exactly a problem. I could show Delvin. Um, I like uh, Somewhere in Time. That's got Christopher Reeve, Superman, in it. I like Notting Hill. Oh, yeah. No. yeah. In, in that, there's only so much time in the day. And I'm saying that more. Be- I'm saying that more because I don't need to get many more podcasts. But I'm also saying it. And we should probably get through this cover description. So, John, what do you think about the cover? Uh, I like this cover. Um, it also it, it's a very good depiction of the Statue of Liberty, which seems to have brought something up in all of us. I have not seen the Statue of Liberty myself. I do remember at this time. And this is something that is referenced in this book later. The Statue of Liberty had just undergone extensive renovation. And for like two years, it was covered in scaffolding. And there was a lot of things. You could get the Liberty coins, which I believe we did. And there were all these things you could donate. And I think we raised some money and donated it to the, you know, to the fund to repair the statue. And they, they did it. And it was really a cool thing. And the, the statue was in everybody's public consciousness for a while. And this was right after that. And, and when I was reading this as a kid, I was like, oh, don't do it to the statue. They just fixed her. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, um, other than that, it's a great action scene. It's um, introducing us to two new uh, characters. There's uh, clouds in the background. And I think the color of the sky really makes this pop and interesting. And I really like this cover. How about you, Delvin? Oddly enough, I'm into my minority here, but it, my I improved my opinion of it when I read the book. Because when I first saw the cover, I'm just like, and I saw the humans are wimps and the S's were backwards. I'm like, <laughs> it's like, that's so juvenile. It's that's just stupid. But then, but then when I read the book and realized you know, what had transpired and everything, I'm like, okay, I, I do get where Runabout and Runamuck were coming from with this. The drawing of Statue of Liberty is really cool. And even though it's funny to see the troops on top of Statue of Liberty shooting down at the robots very ineffectively, <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to do anything. It was still a pretty good action scene. And once I got into the book, I got a better understanding of the cover. And I do like the uh, color of the background. I think that the Transformers logo and the coloring of that looks very good against that background. And it also brings uh, the Statue of Liberty to the forefront. All are very cool things. So with that, let's rate the cover. We here on Transformers Chronicles, we do things like the tech specs of old, where one is the lowest, 10 is the highest, and we go from there. Pat, what would you rate this cover? One to ten. I'm going to give this a seven. It's not overly high on my list, but I I think with the colors making it pop, and this is a cover that, as you kind of were saying, tells you what's going to happen in the story. So that's good. Sweet. I'll jump in here. I think I'll match your seven. I think seven works for me. Um, I, I had it, it was just, fair. Yeah. I, I had it lower than that, but there are some very good elements in it, and... I think seven's a good place for it to land. Let's uh, let's go to John. John, what are you rated? Uh, I'm gonna join your sevens. It's about where I'm at. It, the only thing that I'm really that doesn't put it up to me to an eight or a nine is just run about and run amok themselves look very blocky. And I think that might be because again, I think they were working off of the toys because their model doesn't look like they do inside. Uh, and nope. the toys themselves are very blocky and don't have much movement. Nope. And so I think they were trying to work with that, but still give them movement. So I kind of give them 
credit for pulling that off. But this is a seven. This isn't one that I'm going to remember forever, but it's nice to look at now. I had one of these toys. I, I refuse to remember which one is which. <laughs> I still can't. <laughs> so I had the white one, I'm pretty sure. And it was cool winding it up and watching it pop up like, bam. Well, that was cool. But you couldn't move the arms. The arms just stood there like to the side, like a weightlifter who lifted nothing but like trap muscles. <laughs> just sitting there. Right. How so, big was it? It was, it was like uh, ones? no, it, it was bigger than uh, like a bumblebee or a cliff jump or something like that. It was like, like a prowl. Yeah, or prowl. Yep. Oh, yep. really? Wow. Yep. Yeah, pretty decent size, pretty cool toy. And lest we forget the greater half of Married with Comics. Maggie, what would you rate the cover? I'm going to deviate from the group. I'm going to give it one more point and give it an eight. Because I actually really quite like it. I think it's a very dramatic cover. I think if you're not going to do like a total full background, that red is a really good action color. Because mm-hmm. red is a very emotional color. Um, and I, I like the cover a lot. I kind of thought the humans are wimps was rather reminiscent of the Transformers are all dead thing. And I kind of like that. Mm, um, oh yeah. So I'm going to, I, I, I'm going to give it in. Yeah. I mean, the only thing missing is that shockwave isn't here, which would have exactly. instantly bumped the cover up into greatness. <laughs> <laughs> shockwave is just freaking cool to look at. That is yeah. no doubt about it. Here is Pat with the credits for the issue. All right, Delvin, I am glad you asked. Transformers number 23 was on sale April 15th, 1986. Cover date was July 1986. The story was by Bob Budiansky. Pencils, Don Perlin. Inks are Ian Aiken and Brian Garvey. Colors go to Neil Yamtov. Letters, Janice Chang. Editor is Don Daly. And cover credits, Herb Trimpey. Back to you, Delvin. And let's get to the synopsis. It is a world transformed where things are not what they seem. It is the world of the The title of this issue was Decepticon Graffiti. It looks like Donnie Finkelberg got his approximately 1,970 pieces of silver. That's $50,000 worth at about 4.20 p.m. Monday, January 25th, in case you were wondering, because Skids is headless, along with about a dozen other Autobots, thanks to the hands of Circuit Breaker and Rat whose acronym will grow more meaningless over time, so much so that it took me longer to get into this bit than it would have been for me to just read what the acronym meant. Meanwhile, aboard Megatron has spent countless amounts of fuel in order to get the Battle Chargers run about and run amok to planet Earth for the purpose of creating destruction, but also to challenge Optimus Prime to a duel. To the death! Soundwave, like the rest of us, thinks that this is incredibly dumb, but once I thought about it, this decision by Megatron is going to affect things for literally the rest of the series, and yeah, I digress, but it's kind of important. But really, I'm almost done. Run about and run amok, wreak havoc across the country, placing Cybertronian graffiti on landmarks until Circuit Breaker catches up to them in Philadelphia, and finally ending the threat in New York City by the Statue of Liberty. 
The victory is Pyrrhic because in order to get to that point, she had to merge the Autobots in some sort of Circuit Breaker's monster creation. In order to do that, she had to let the Autobots go after she did. So let's talk about the book. On Transformers Chronicles, we take turns to bring things up from the comic. Started with but not limited to goods and bads, and everyone discusses. We will start with Maggie. Maggie, what do you think? What are your thoughts on Transformers 23? Well, just to be a pain, the first thing I wanted to bring up was who made the splish and who made the splash. The very end, of course, is where I want to start. <laughs> oh, you mean I wasn't they're... expecting, honestly, to go first. I was kind of, you know, going to build off of everybody else. And, and that the splish and the splash thing was like, that's like a pain in the neck thing, Maggie would say. Uh, but when she fries Runabout and Runamuck, they both go, they go splish splash. They, they both get a kablam. And they both get a kablam. She fries the heck out of them. I got to say, to wrap this into something that's actually relevant, I really liked Circuit Breaker. And I know that this is the last time we see her, at least for a long while yeah. in the books. Um, she's a really interesting villain. I understand her motivation. I understand her perspective. She's not just a bad guy for the sake of needing a bad guy. And it was kind of a cool way to wrap up her story, I thought. She sort of kind of redeemed herself. I don't think so fully, but she did at least kind of have um, a little bit of an epiphany about how she'd been behaving. So, I don't know. I, I thought Circuit Breaker in general was just really cool. A very unique kind of a villain. Um, and, and to see her story get wrapped up rather nicely, I thought was pretty cool. This is overall a very good issue. But I agree with her on Circuit Breaker. She's really does come go through a lot. She's she um maintains enough interesting about her so she never quite falls into the range of two dimensional villain. Yeah, exactly. It's, I wouldn't call her two dimensional whatsoever. I think she's a really good villain. <laughs> Pat, you have anything on that? No, I would I definitely agree with that. I think her and um just kind of going to mine would be seeing the transformation of Donnie a little bit more here. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then along with him pulling along Circuit Breaker, opening up her kind of eyes to what's going on around her, that the Autobots aren't really, you know, that bad. And, you know, what happened, she's still, I don't think she can understand the difference between a Decepticon and the Autobots yet, you know. So mm-hmm. she's stuck in that they're just all these sentient beings that are all just robots and I need to get them all. You know, I'm they're Pokemon and she needs to collect them all. I don't even- <laughs> I don't even know if she classifies them as sentient beings. She just no, thinks they're robots. Yeah. Well, and that goes back to an, another one of my questions, too. I got written down as like, so these Autobots that she's captured, they got their faces taken off and they're all laying there. Do do that? Are these Autobots like shut down? Do they not have any power? What's kind of happening to them? You know, it's, I mean, do they feel that their faces got taken off and that they're getting ripped apart. And just I'm, the more I thought about that, I'm like, wow, this is kind of. Well, I got two things. I got two things for you. I mean, remember that for several issues, Optimus Prime was their headless, right? I mean, so this, yeah. this isn't new to the book where we've seen Transformers with their heads removed, but more to the issue. Like, I thought that the opening uh, panel on page two was horrifying yes. to yeah. where you've got yeah. Circuit Breaker tinkering around with Skid's yeah. brain, and then they show, like, Skid's, like, kind of twitching. I'm like, ugh. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I know. that. I, I saw that panel, and then you, you start going through, then the next page, you got the bigger panel where all the heads are on the wall, and then you got different lifts or things like that. You know, they're all on, like, kind of, like, car lifts. 
mm-hmm. with he- their heads off and the other humans kind of yanking parts off of them. And I'm like, whoa. Brutal. I thought it, I thought this is more worse than seeing them hang there in that one, in that earlier issue where they all were just kind of like hanging there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, issue five. Oh, yeah, where they were like stabbing beef then. Yeah. yeah, where they were just kind of, I'm like, okay, I'm all right with that. But yeah, I think that seeing the faces off and just being twitched is like, ooh, I don't think I want that to happen to me. It, it kind of takes away that that sort of human nature that the Transformers have just by means of being created by a human. You know, they kind of project onto the characters a little bit. Mm-hmm. And Transformers yeah. are a lot like people, but they're robots, right? Right. So yeah. when you see them in like um, like a mechanical, a very mechanical setting, it kind of takes that perspective and, and changes it a little bit. So you see them almost as non-living beings and, and just as mm-hmm. these big metal machine things. Well, that's why I wanted to echo, I think, what Delvin was getting at before. I don't think she looks at these as sentient because that's been baked into her since her very first appearance, mm-hmm. which was in Secret Wars 2, when she's talking to the Beyonder in that one and she's saying the robots aren't like people they don't have the spark that we do ironically than they have yeah but and that and the way that she's looking at this brain in the in the first splash page she's looking at it like this is like like she's looking at a really cool toy she's not she doesn't feel any amount of like she's torturing skids which she clearly is that's what's horrifying for us the readers to look at it but for her she's like this is so cool i push this it does that and they managed to find out a sophisticated amount of information off of these things, including their names somehow. Yeah. I, I think that's a good – I think it's good that Bob – if this was Bob's idea in this whole storyline is to kind of play this out for a while, giving us the reader getting to know these robots, getting to know that they're kind of humanish, um, you know, that they have to all of a sudden you see this happen. It's like, wait a minute. Whoa. You know, if I would have saw this earlier on, like the slabs of meat and all that we were talking about, I was like, yeah, you know, that's okay. They're just robots hanging out there. But now that I've read 20-some issues of it, you start to f- have some feelings for these robots. And now you see this. It's like, I think I got a feeling Bob was kind of setting this all up. Maybe that's why we haven't seen Circuit Breaker for a while, because he had this maybe idea that was going to go on to make you f- feel that. Well, I mean – Bob has certainly at least introduced the idea that maybe not all the robots are bad robots to Circuit Breaker, even though she kind of went back to type towards the end where she at least defaulted like, well, okay, next time I see the robots, dead robots, wrestle them, you know, <laughs> it reminds like me of Yosemite Sam. Yeah. And that's, I think, true to type too. If you've ever met a truly absolute, you know, converted person you know to whatever not even in a religious sense but just an absolute this is how i think this is how i feel i'm and then if you engage in a conversation with these people a lot of times they will concede to your point of view if you make a point which they will immediately then forget when it is convenient for them to do so because that zealotry is what drives them and and, and that's where she is and this literally created her well, yeah, this, she's still oh, yeah. she's still hurt, and you can tell it by mm-hmm. the the story she gave to Donnie. Agreed. And okay, is there anything else? Let's let's bring it to Pat. I know Pat has notes. He showed us. I do have notes. Yes, and and uh, one of it was to talk about the change between uh, Donnie and Circuit Breaker. Here, I thought it was really good, and you guys were telling me, you know, Donnie's going to be around for a little bit, but you know, he's got a good story going on, and I think he did. 
I, I like the the redemption story that he did have here. So, and then especially at the end where you see him getting that big check, and then now he's going to give that to help clean up the Statue of Liberty. Man, so, he was better than me. I mean, I yeah. would have, even in that situation, I would have managed to shave off about five grand. You know, I've got bills <laughs> to pay. <laughs> especially, yeah, because you see him go back to his really bad apartment and all that stuff. Yeah. And then, he, so, I, I, yeah, good on you, Donnie. Good on you. See, maybe it was the mood I was in. Maybe it's a little bit of present times, but I was like, Donnie, you're a rat. And <laughs> you're just, you're a rat. Like, Skids was on your side. You completely ratted him out just to get your cash. And and then now he's, oh, well, I thought you were just going to lock him up. So it would have been okay if he were simply imprisoned as opposed to imprisoned and tortured. to his credit he didn't seem to take very long to go oh man i messed up i gotta fix this yeah um (laughs) i will take another opinion uh maggie please give give me something that brightens my opinion on (laughs) donnie donnie had a more complete redemptive arc in this than circuit breaker did because he actually shows remorse and and lasting change well, we, we assume lasting change by the end of the issue. So he does have that going for him. He is still a little bit of a snake in the grass, especially if you consider, I mean, I, I know this was what, 1986? 86. Yeah. Uh, $50,000 is a lot of money, but I don't think that was nearly enough for what he did. I mean, they said they put him on the payroll and things too, and he's just uncomfortable the whole time. And he's kind of trying to speak out, you know, against the things that Circuit Breaker is doing because he's very much affected seeing skids being tortured by her and especially with her very clinical kind of um, assessment that she's doing mm-hmm. of these living beings that she's dissected. Um, so, I, I mean, I give, I give Donnie some credit. I like that though. I really like that. I think that's more realistic than most redemptive arcs are shown in fiction. In most redemption yeah. arcs, the person, you know, does bad things, does bad things. Maybe you'll get a hint of goodness and then we'll have that moment and they'll switch. That's not how things like that work. There are steps forward. There are slides back. And Donnie, who had, you know, redeemed himself, you know, was really starting to become a real person, you know, and was connecting with skids as a real person, still had enough of that, you know, slimy, snaky greediness to allow him to slide, mm-hmm. but, but which gave it to the point that when the chips were truly down at the end of this, he found a way, found his opportunity and took it and got, got them all let go. Yeah. I think Donnie's back at a even level right now where he could be, you know, he's like neutral. He could either go chaotic evil or he could go, you know, the other way. Look at at you, Pat. Look at you. That was very impressive. That's my D&D background. (laughs) 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 Don and Maggie know what I'm talking about. We do. Okay. All right. He with Clinton. When you can, to give him contact, you guys have him down in the basement, but he still has enough of an internet connection. We play D&D with him (laughs) on Wednesdays. Yeah, we we let him have that just yeah, so he nice stays down there. That is nice of you because we, like we need a pa- you know we need an extra you know meat shield. So. <laughs> it seems like we've talked about humans a lot. We talked about Circuit Breaker. We talked about Donnie. Is there any reason to bring up any robots in this yeah, issue of Transformers? There's a lot of really neat little touches. You already brought the one up of how Circuit Breaker looking at the the robot brain. Uh, there's some neat, like, 
Megatron's crazy robot throne or car throne that he built for himself and his staff with an exhaust pipe for reasons. I guess that's how he's been, you know, (laughs) modeling because they're, you know, he's now full commander. So he's going to he's modeling his new throne room. I like that. I like that um, on the little weird gestalt Autobot at the end, there's a couple of notable parts of Autobots you can see. You've got like silver bolts, um, turbines are on the legs. You can see, okay. And it's Cosmos's gun that he's shooting with, which makes me very happy because <laughs> Cosmos kills and he kills. He kills, and he, he kills runabout and runamuck, you know, vicariously. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Let's, let's go back to the Megatron one. I liked it when he smacked Soundwave with. Yeah, the line made me laugh out loud. It was like, "What I what I want your opinion? I'll tell you what to say." Soundwave. Yeah, <laughs> that was that was nice, and I I liked that. It was almost a little bit fourth wall to, <laughs> to where to where Megatron's like, "Okay, yeah, I, I got these robots from Cybertron, and we're gonna do it to the death." And, and Sawyer was like, "I could think of fourteen ways." Shut up. <laughs> I can just call him up. I got his yeah. number. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah. I can. I just could, you can just press a button right here. Boom. And we're talking to Optimus Prime. Megatron's I can like, set up a Zoom meeting and we can get together. <laughs> and what I love though, Megatron apparently got Cybertron on the horn and asked for these two specifically. He does say he asked. He asked for them to come back, and it's like maybe four million years ago they were working in like a coffee shop, and they gave him really good service, and he's like, "I'm going to remember them." And the next four million years, they just degenerated. (laughs) It was, it was, or it was either that or Megatron was just like, you know, again with the fourth wall, like, "Shut up, we got an issue to get through." (laughs) Can you imagine if you're getting a call from Soundwave to? To the Autobots and is like, please hold for Megatron. Is this on? Soundwave. Can they hear me? That's the elevator music. That's that's waiting. (laughs) Soundwave's hold music. Please tell me he does like a version of the girl from Impanema. Like he's gotta. (laughs) (laughs) But it's all in his voice. (laughs) Yes, exactly. But it's in Soundwave's voice. I want to hear this now. We talked about the Jestalt robot at the end. I thought that was creepy. Uh, it is. Uh, I thought so too, in a really cool way, though. I, I pretty much, I, uh, I really dug it. I liked seeing her kind of like splayed out on the on the chest of it and being able to control it with her head. It was it was kind of body horrorish a little bit, mm-hmm, but I kind of yeah. dug it. I was there for it. It was it was just the right amount of creepy and also really kind of cool. And I like that the robot, whatever was all put together, it kind of helped protect her too. Yeah, you know, out of, out of the blue, it she's like, well, I didn't even do this, but it did it itself. So. And I think that's the moment she realized, oh, my God, these things are alive. Mm-hmm. But it's like we were saying before how she then I can't let myself think that way. You know, by the end of it, she's already buried that thought. See, I, mean, I interpreted that a little differently. I I didn't think it had to do with her thinking that they were like sapient or not, but more that um, there was goodness. In oh, them. sure. That works. Yeah. See your way. Yeah. Let's see. I think we started with Maggie. We let Pat bring up something from the notes. John, did you have anything that you wanted to bring up? Before I forget, because the group Rat doesn't show up for a while. Um, and I do did want to comment earlier. I forgot to. It's like a Finkelberg's rat shirt. Yes. Looks like he went to Koreatown to buy a rat shirt. <laughs> you know, like the band Rat and got 
got the R-A-T-T and and he's had it all this time and he's like, finally, an appropriate place to wear this. (laughs) No, but I have to tell this story. I alluded to this before. I mentioned it in passing, but it's really quick. I can't remember what year it was. It was in the late 90s and Rat played at Rockfest in Kadat, Wisconsin. And that's a music festival where a bunch of, usually it's a bunch of this side of has-been to full has-been, but it's still great. So I got to see like Poison was there, Cheap Trick, a bunch of people. And my one buddy was there with me and was so excited because we would get to see Rat that night. And he was the biggest Rat fan I think exists in the world. He was so excited to see Rat. And so we got there really early and got seats way up front off the one side. So we had a really great view of the stage and he was excited. And Rat comes out and this was probably, I think, at seven o'clock at night. And Rat is taking a long time to get out individually, you know, just really dragging it out. And everybody but Steve Percy, the lead singer, is out and they're playing music stuff. And finally, they kick into the song and Percy comes staggering out there, a drunker than I have ever seen any human being in the world, and slurring into the microphone, babbling, and then yells up to the screen, this ain't no comeback tour, and falls off the stage. Did he make a sound? Was it splish or splash? (laughs) (laughs) I think it was a through an arrow to my heart. Uh, The next day, I was watching Headbangers Ball, and Rat was supposed to be on that night, but they said they had to cancel because Steve Percy had an accident uh, where he fell off the stage because the lights were too bright. And I'm like, oh, no, that's not why that happened. And he tried to sue the venue, but unfortunately, the rest of his band had already talked to the local press and were like, oh, no, he'd been drinking since 845 in the morning. Uh, we're surprised he was even able to walk out there. So wow. he didn't get any money from the venue. And that is my story about Rat. OK, and now we can go ahead. John, Maggie, make sure to check off. Uh, John rants for five minutes consecutively about something <laughs> on the bingo card. And Pat. Hers, hers comes pre-checked with that. Yeah. <laughs> Pat, you had a story about rat that you wanted to share, right? Oh, I just wanted to talk about the rat t-shirt. Oh, okay. Go for it. Cool as that rat t-shirt. <laughs> Pretty cool. That's Quite all I had. Cool. I would, that was my segment. I wanted to say I recognize Donnie's wearing the rat t-shirt. Nice. Nice. All I right. That was cool. We have talked it, Circuit Breaker. We have talked we talked some robots. We talked the Gestalt. We talked Runabout and Runamuck. Well, kind of. Are, are, do, do we really need to bring up anything about Runabout or Runamuck? Well, I have a bit to say about them a little later. Will they be back? They were pretty popular. Uh, they do pop up in the background later with no explanation. Uh, at least one of them does, and they pop up throughout other incarnations. People uh, really liked this issue. Oh. And so they and a lot of the creators who are creating now seem to have liked this issue and will have them pop in and, you know, be all beavisy. Hmm. I I know that it, I mean, because like I had the toy. We I mentioned that. And so it was interesting that like you can the, the their gimmick was that they transformed very, very quickly. And that's that's kind of hard to mention in a comic, but they did. They actually did get to it. And I give Bob credit for crafting a story around these two that was kind of involved. It wasn't wasn't it was a good attempt. It really was. So I think it was interesting, given that the only gimmick 
that these two have is that they're kind of destructive and they transform very quickly. Yeah, but they, the it sounded end. like they needed to be something about being charged up or, or something where we we can't jump or something like that until. Oh, they had like um, oh, like rocket boosters. Yeah, they couldn't. Fl- yeah, they couldn't fly, fly outright like right. Megatron yeah, can. Like- <laughs> <laughs> they can't. They only can't in fly. Gun, only in gun form, apparently. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> they can't fly. They can only boost themselves with the yeah, rocket boosting boosters. or something like, like side that. Sideswipe yeah. can do that too. So I thought rough. that was kind of their their gimmick. Like you guys were saying, kind of their gimmick, where you know, if I pulled them back and then they would launch and then poof, they would pop up. That's yeah. That's their gimmick yeah. in in the toy, okay. and they they kind of the only thing that they really did show it in the book is that they rapidly transformed. That was yeah. that's about it. And again, okay. I, I I can't I can't fault Bob for that because there's just not really a ton you could do to demonstrate that. Really, exactly. Yeah. Since every transformer we've ever seen, you know, takes one panel to transform anyway. Yeah. It's yeah. like these are taking one panel to transform faster. <laughs> right. Not much you can do. Does anyone have any uh, last burning thoughts? Maggie? Oh, I hear you. Maggie, go ahead. I was just going to say, there is the whole pain in the ass Noah acted. Peyton <laughs> Phoebe being, I could not stand that kid. He annoyed me so deeply. And not only that, what really gets me is when like kids are super annoying in something, and then by being super annoying and stupid and not doing what they're supposed to do, they get in trouble and someone has to save them. But, like, kind of the, the whole linchpin of the issue was this kid with his graffiti, run about and run amok, see him do it. They think that's real cool. We want to be like that kid. And so they go around the country with this family, painting graffiti, Cybertronian graffiti on stuff. And that's what leads Circuit Breaker and Donnie and everyone together at the end. The linchpin of the story is this obnoxious little kid who hates his vacation. And that, kids, is why you shouldn't put graffiti on things. Exactly, because Transformers will want to copy. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was kind of cool, that runabout, runamuck, clearly their thing is demolitions. And they kind of didn't really, they're like, who is this? Who is Megatron? Like, we, we don't really want to listen to this dude. <laughs> I know, that's this guy's like 4,000, 4 million years old. Yeah, like, and they didn't want to listen to him, and so it was kind of kind of cool how they wound up seeing this bratty kid's like, well, we'll just follow the kid around and kind of do what like this earthling does and see where that gets us. So I, that was, yeah. that was kind of cute. I liked it. it was, uh, even though you're right, Maggie, I couldn't stand. And trust me, any, my inner kid was picturing what my parents would have done to me. Oh what? God. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I would have been dead. I would have been dead. I would not have lived. I would have been tied to the top of that. Car. Car, yeah. The rest of the vacation. I I literally, one time, my mom and her friend, and then her friend's son, and the two of us are still friends to this day, uh, went for like a a drive one summer afternoon, and the two of us were in the back seat, and we were bickering and being obnoxious and rude. And so they kicked us out of the car (laughs) and drove ahead like maybe 10 yards. We were sure we were being abandoned on the side of the road, but that, that didn't happen. We did get abandoned on the side of the road. Did you once? At, at the bottom of the hill going up, we, we hit at the, the bottom the of the cemetery hill. We had to walk the rest of the way. Yeah. It, so, <laughs> yeah, me reading this kid, I, I would never have gotten away with behaving no, like that. My no, mom would not have gotten no, like that. No. At all. I was having flashbacks to vacations where I died because yeah. <laughs> my parents killed me because yeah. I was a brat. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. This is such an interesting issue. And it has so much to wrap up, and it did it really well. 
And it was an entertaining read. And in its inimitable Transformer style, it did it in just this wacky way where... Yeah, I know. I'm developing such a new appreciation for Bob Budiansky's silliness that he throws into these situations that also managed to wrap up several major plot threads. Everything's wrapped up so that we can get to something, I'm assuming, important over the next couple of issues. Possibly, because that something important seems to be that Megatron has had it with Optimus Prime and that he wants to challenge him to a duel to the death. And they're just going to play video game. Yeah. I I want to add something else because, you know, this is important. He wanted to challenge him to a duel to the death. And keep in mind that Soundwave was like, we could literally tell him. and, And Megatron said, no. You know, not only do we need to have issue 23, but he also was like, you know, it has to be like special. You know, this I'm is, not. I'm this is WrestleMania this. big. Exactly. This is <laughs> WrestleMania big. This is not a house show. No. You know, <laughs> this, is, this is big time pay-per-view and he wants yes. people. He wants everyone to know that he is challenging Optimus Prime to the death. And that, you have said that this is going to. In your your mind, this affects everything that happens for the rest of the issue, you had said before, or the well, series. series. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Do you agree with that, John? I have a couple of ideas on it. I'm going to wait until I reread issues uh, issue 25 in particular, mm-hmm. and then I'm sure we'll have a lot to talk about. But, I mean, let, let there be no mistake. A duel is a common. <laughs> And now it's time for us to talk about who had the touch, where we talk about which character in the book stood out the most, be it Autobot, Decepticon, or human. You got the touch. You got the power. John, please tell me who had the touch. I am going to give the touch to Circuit Breaker. Circuit Breaker had the furthest to go in terms of a redemption arc, and where, like Maggie said, she probably doesn't uh, come all the way around after it. She still was a person of her word. Presumably, she had to make an agreement with the Autobots in order to allow her to turn into this gestalt thing, which I have a whole headcanon around. It involves Silverbolt and the fact that the Aerialbots are combiners anyway, and so that's how they were able to do it but then she was able to help them disassemble themselves into components and let them go so kudos to you circuit breaker plus you saved the bratty kid when you didn't have to thus establishing that you're not a you're not a supervillain you are a superhero at heart at least that's what you're still striving to be circuit breaker gets the touch let's pass it off to maggie uh, I'm, I'm also going to give it to circuit breaker for all those reasons and because um she puts aside her own personal and very deep-rooted fear of these robots in order to interface with them to save the day at the end. Because when Donnie suggests that she asks the Autobots around her for help, it's like it never even occurred to her as a possible option, let alone to kind of, you know, jury-rig a gestalt of all of them and then put herself as, like, the, the brain of the whole thing and operate this big mecha transformer. It was really pretty cool, and she did have the furthest to go. You're right, and and she mostly made her redemptive arc, and she has kind of a realistic redemptive arc, like we mentioned earlier. So 
yeah, my More Than Meets the Eye goes to Circuit Breaker as well. And and the fact that it was over the water, it was very Pacific Rim, was it not? Yeah. Pat, who do you have? Who had the touch? Well, I've never seen Pacific Rim, so chalk that up as another movie. But I am going to also agree with Circuit Breaker as well, too. I think she had the most change in this. And again, she's the one that got rid of the two uh, uh, the two Decepticons that were causing all this trouble to begin with. So it's I'm giving it to Circuit Breaker. How about okay. you, Delvin? Okay. And I, I got to add, you should watch Pacific Rim because it's it's fun. I, I was very skeptical about Pacific Rim coming in. And then I watched and I was like, no, this is a lot of fun. And I'm glad that I watched it. So it's it's a nice little fun romp if you never watched it. For me, I'm going to give the touch to Runabout and Runamuck because they did what they were supposed to do. Like they, they were troublemakers. They went and sprayed Cybertronian graffiti all over the place. And then they were smart enough to realize they're like, Oh, wait, humans don't understand what we're doing. They don't appreciate our art. And then they somehow <laughs> over the course of, you know, between the panels found out how to like write and understand English to put humans are wimps. <laughs> we were talking about that before. It's like, I want to see the, the not included pages of runabout and runabout learning how to read. <laughs> that would, that is incredible. That really is that they stopped and figured out how to do it. And, and did they use their powers for good? No, of course not. <laughs> they grow right there is what that is. That was so, I give them credit. They, they, in my opinion, they advanced the action and, and they, they did a whole heck of a lot. But I am just a broken machine and I do things that don't really mean. So if we're going to talk about who had the touch, we got to talk about who's out of touch, right? So that person is the worst character in the book. And they should have to twitch uncontrollably while someone pokes at their brain in the segment called Less Than Meets the Eye. Pat, who do you have as less than meets the eye? I'm going to go with the kid, the whiny kid. Kid <laughs> Acton. I can't remember his name, but yeah. Kid Acton. I remember the last name of the family. Man, yeah. you channeled him so well, though, in, in that impromptu earlier skit thing. I can't believe you would have so much ire for him. <laughs> <laughs> it just let, you know, it's like, yeah, come on. And then, you know, he puts Circuit Breaker, gets her hurt just because he's all like, oh, I want to see this fight. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, that was the worst thing. John, who was less than meets the eye? I am going to give uh, my less than meets the eye to uh, Burnett, which is unfortunate. Because story structure wise, it kind of required for him to be the to be the way he was to be the government stooge and nope, you're terrible, you're fired and all this. But that was a pretty major swerve from his whole arc that they had started him with. You know, they started with him trying to you know being put in a situation where he had the impossible task of solving the PR nightmare that they had. He came up with Robot Master, that went belly up, and then got thrown into Rat, and he was working all this, but still was starting to realize that there was more going on with it, and that there did seem to be good and bad ones happening. But all of that had to be kind of thrown aside for necessity to deal with the Circuit Breaker and Donnie greater story arcs, and there just wasn't enough room to deal with that. But for the purpose of the story, that's why I give it to him. Maggie, 
Who do you have as less than meets the eye? Noah Atkins. He was a pain and super obnoxious. I didn't like him. He could have been any other kind of kid and still have drawn vacations are the pits on the side of the... By the way, wherever it was they were, they were selling chocolate cover sushi pops. Which yeah. Is, I don't know if that's a thing that actually exists or not, but like the mom was wiping squid off the little kid's face. That whole family just turned me off. I, I just turned the guy to the Acton family. The entire family, huh? Less than me, see. <laughs> All right. How about, how about you, Delvin? I I'm going with Dunny. I, I just I got no time for rats. I got no time for snakes. You know, like you can't rat out skids like he did. That was just bush league. And he may have had an arc where he came around and he wrote the check to the Statue of Liberty Fund, but you know what? He kind of caused all that. So, like, I, he ends in neutral. I agree with what Pat said. And and I don't know if he's chaotic, good, chaotic, evil, like, as a character overall, but he ended it neutral. And they were just, as soon as even last, this end of last issue, when he made that call to Rat or to Circuit Breaker or Barnett or whoever, and it's like, oh, yeah, I got one of these robots. Like, oh, man, you're the worst, Donnie. So, my list of MCI goes to Donnie. Because of stuff he did in the last issue. <laughs> that carried over to this one. It Old carried over. <laughs> you do whatever you want. That's it's your award. That's, you know what, John? You could get in the backseat with Pat, who's already in timeout. Uh, hey. hey. Oh, man. Tell me you, rolled, you didn't roll the window back up. <laughs> it's, it's those sushi pops that smell. I'm going to move on to overall ratings for the book that we do on a scale of one to 10, one being the lowest, 10 being the highest. And we should get to it before these two get more distracted. John, what would you rate Transformers 23? As a kid, this was one of my least favorite ones. And I think that was because what it, of what it's surrounded by. As an adult, I really, really like every part of this issue. And I liked Runabout and Runamuck. I thought they were. I liked uh, Circuit Breaker's arc, as we said. I liked how Donnie's went. The uh, family was I uh, absolutely delighted in hating everything that they absolutely did. So I think I'm going to give this issue a 10. Whoa. It's a 10 from me. Wow. Look out, John. Wow. Pat. I couldn't come up with anything. To, I was like, this. That was. it seems strange to me, too, but I can't. There's nothing I can say that this issue did wrong. I'm, I'm never going to question when you're enthusiastic about a book. I think it's a great thing. You and should. I, I like a lot of crap. Pat, what would you rate the book? Well, I had it at a lower number, but I think through this conversation, I'm bringing it up, bumping it up one, and I'm going to give it a seven. Just like the cover, I, I think it's 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 a seven for me. Okay. Got it. Maggie? I'm going to rate it, kind of like with Pat, I'm going to go with an with an 8, just like I did for the cover. I liked it. I think it did its job. It was an enjoyable read, um, with the exception of some weird like background coloring choices here and there. I like the art overall as well. Um, so, yeah, I think I'll, I, I will give this an 8. That leaves me, and man, I don't know. I'm a little conflicted uh, in that I remember, I think this is the first time I've read this issue. I had it. It's been in my collection, but I did not remember anything that was going to happen in this book. And it also struck me because it, it started with when Megatron was sitting there and having that conversation. 
about the whole thing. Cause I remember just thinking that the premise of runabout and runabout, run amok was a little bit, I don't know, convenient. And, but it fit, Meg, it fit Megatron's purpose overall to do it. Megatron is the type, well, I'm going to do what I want to do. I don't care if it makes sense to you. I'm, I'm going to do it. And he did it. And this decision did set off a chain of events that, you know, Pat doesn't know about, that Maggie doesn't know about, but John sure does. And it's like, it's important. It's, it, this is one of those sneaky seminal issues that a decent amount of things happened. And you may not have realized it from the silliness of two robot cars going all the way across the country, spraying graffiti on the St. Louis Arch. It's so, it was so deceptive. And I'm just learning how to really appreciate what Bob did here in this, in, in this whole crazy thing. So I'm going to give it a nine. And, and trust me, I didn't expect to give it that high of a rating, but it was a lot of good came from this issue. At least in, as far as we are about to wrap up year two of Transformers. And it, at the end of year two, he just closed out a few storylines and he's about to advance on another one that is seminal to the entire book. So mm-hmm. maybe watch that's, this space. And maybe that's it is I don't know what's I truly don't know what's coming. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, man, if I didn't either. <laughs> you know. Well, because you said that Runamuck and Runabout did what they were told to do, and I went back into the issue, and I'm like, well, he told them to tell Optimus that he was going to meet him for a duel, but they didn't do that. They just went cross-country spraying graffiti <laughs> everywhere and didn't actually get anywhere close to encountering Optimus Prime. In fact, they ended up in Washington, D.C., which is on the opposite side of the country from where Optimus Prime is. Just- uh, so is the graffiti the Cybertronian graffiti before they learned the English, is that like, were they leaving a message? <laughs> was it all saying Optimus Prime, Megatron wants to meet. I'm just saying it'd be great know. if the graffiti left across the country was their way. Cause he said it had to be, it was like their way of doing it. Otherwise they just went in the opposite direction of where Optimus Prime was and got fried and dropped into the New York Harbor. Mm. Right? Yeah. yeah. He'll have to go with a different plan. Oh, okay. to, you know, but <laughs> Megatron's got a lot, lot to do. I'm just I'm saying, sure. they never got in touch with him. No, no, they didn't. They got yeah. immediately distracted. <laughs> and I was thinking, well, maybe that's what Feeny really is. <laughs> I gave them way too much credit. Be interest- I'm interested to see what uh, goes on with issue 24 and what y'all think. But for now, we can and never leave you without John's segment of the show called Transformer Spotlight where he discusses a particular Transformer or Transformers that was featured in today's issue. Take it away, John. I am going to cover both Battle Chargers, starting with Runabout. Here's what it would, you would see on the back of his toy, his Allegiance's Decepticon subgroup Battle Charger Function Shock Trooper. His motto is, a pretty car makes an even prettier wreck. Likes to watch things blow up. The bigger the explosion, the better. Uses parked cars and gas station fuel pumps for target practice. Usually very busy as a battle charger, but terrified of boredom. Maximum speed 185 miles per hour. Range 550 miles. Has high energy particle beam rifle. Easily distracted by a beautiful car because he wants to destroy it, not admire it. His strength is 5, his intelligence is 6, his speed is 7, his endurance is 7, his rank is 6, his courage is 7. Firepower 7, skill is 7, so all around a pretty tough nut to crack there. Uh, Runabuck, um, also Decepticon Battle Charger Shock Trooper, uh, his motto is, The road is my playpen, cars are my toys. 
Cackling like a mechanical wild man, this battle charger is a twirling, tumbling, tool lane terror. <laughs> Running fear is his favorite pastime. Admires junkyards like humans admire art museums. Maximum speed 180 miles per hour, range of 600 miles. Uses friction rifle that increases kinetic energy of its target's molecules for five minutes. Even the slightest movements result in tremendous friction, causing flames and melting. Afraid of heights. Uh, his strength is 6, intelligence 6, speed 7, endurance 7, rank 6, courage 5, firepower 7, skill 8. The battle chargers were part of the first wave of Transformers uh, designed exclusively for use in the Transformers franchise. All the ones previous were uh, previous uh, toy lines that were recolored or remodded in a couple of places. Uh, and they also show uh, part of a shift in focus in the toys away from more realistic cars and appliances and dinosaurs and things to the gimmicks. And as we've talked about, the Battle Chargers gimmick was kind of along the same lines of what the Autobot jump starters had. Uh, they would just transform automatically and in one step quickly. You'd roll them back and then they'd roll forward and automatically transform. Uh, the jump starters had Cybertronian vehicles and the Battle Chargers were a 69 Charger and 80, 80s Trans Am. So they were basically uh, the General Lee, but an uh, off-white one. And uh, <laughs> and a uh, kit, a little late for that, but that's what they looked like. Uh, their vehicle modes weren't as impressive looking as the original Autobot vehicles. They were made out of plastic, and they have gone beyond die-cast metal by this point. And their robot modes had zero articulation. You, they came with guns, and you have to plug it into their shoulders. So yeah. it was, use your imagination, kitties. They weren't as bad as the throttle bots who came later, but I'm sure we'll get to those. Um the jump starters were way better. They had articulation and they could move their arms and legs and had guns that plugged in. I know this isn't a jump starter spotlight, but they don't show up in the Marvel books and I like them. So this is the only time I can tangentially bring the jump starters in. Those were I have no idea who the jump starters are. So in twist and top spin. They were uh, Oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I I had I had both of those. Yeah, those guys were great. Yeah, yeah, you bother back and then they would boop and they would pop off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember. Exactly. So they had the same sort of gimmick in a different way. The jumpsters were just way cooler. Hmm. Anyway, speaking of right about, right about, on the other hand, the less cool, uh, fans will often refer to them as the Beavis and Butthead of Transformers <laughs> uh, because of the <laughs> but which is a bit of an anachronism considering Beavis and Butthead was a cartoon which came out seven years later than this issue. Right. Uh, if anything, Runabout and Runamuck share a dynamic more closely similar to that of Heckle and Jekyll. Yeah. You've got your wannabe sophisticate and the uncultured slob. And if you don't if you're not familiar with them, well, any given cartoon is exactly that. One of them is putting on airs along the lines of uh, keeping up appearances and things like that. Oh, sure. And okay. and his companion is just an idiot. And that's yeah. what these I'm pretty sure that's where Bob got the the dynamic of these guys. Thanks as always to TFU.info and Transformerland.com for the above information. And thank you, John. And we will go now to another promo break. The Transformers will return after these messages. There was an idea to bring together a group of remarkable people. To see if we could become something more. So when they needed us, we could make the podcasts. 
that they never could. In time, you will know what it is like to cross over. To feel so desperately that the comic is right, yet to fail all the same. Dread it. Run from it. March 2021 still arrives. Evacuate the network. Engage all defenses. And get this man a cold Mountain Dew. Ooh, cold Mountain Dew. I haven't tried one of those. Nah, nah, nah. Make it warm. Thank you. Fun isn't something one considers when podcasting an event. But this <laughs> does put a smile on my face. the hell are you guys? The Merry Marvel Marching Society. We don't know where we're going, but we're on the way. A podcasting crossover mega event in the spirit of JL May. Coming in March 2021. Covering Marvel's fall crossover event, Axe. A vengeance. A cabal of evil threatens the Avengers and the entire Marvel Universe. Doctor Doom, the Red Skull, Kingpin, Doctor Doom, Magneto, the Wizard, Doctor Doom, the Mandarin, and Doctor Doom have banded together to pit Earth's mightiest heroes against foes they have never faced before. An array of heroes face enemies they are totally unfamiliar with. But who is secretly pulling the vengeful cabal's strings? And can the Avengers take down the true mastermind before his hidden scheme succeeds? Featuring podcasts from Third Degree Burn, Back to the Bins, Avengers Spotlight, Coffee and Comics, Comic Book Time Machine, Doom Speak, Fan Holes Podcast, Fire and Water Podcast Network, Head Speaks, Into the Weird, Justice, not entirely dissimilar to Lightning, a Thunderbolts podcast, Longbox Crusade, Married with Comics, The Quantum Cast, Resurrections, an Adam Warlock podcast, Rolled Spine podcasts, and Views from the Longbox. Marching its way to your favorite podcatchers and hosting sites in 2021. Act of Vengeance, a true story. We now return to the Transformers. And that's the show.
Please come back and join us for the next episode where we discuss Transformers issue 24, which will mark the end of two years for the series. And if you read the letters page of issue 23, the end of either Optimus Prime or Megatron. Any takers as to who? If you like to hear more from us, the Longbox Crusade is in a lot of places. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and most podcatchers to include Spotify at www.longboxcrusade.com. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Patreon, all at Longbox Crusade. YouTube, please subscribe. We have a do-it live stream once a month, every second Sunday. Plus, we're dropping additional stuff that's been up on our Patreon feed for a while. Plus, Jared is doing the Creator Spotlight every once in a while. So come check us out. You can also email us at contact at longboxcrusade.com. I'd like to give a special shout out to our Crusaders Club members. We appreciate your love and support. If you would like to join our Crusaders Club, we would love to have you. Membership starts at only $1 a month and we work hard to earn your buck. We'd also like to give a shout out to Omaha Bound Entertainment, who does those hard bindings for those special comics in your collection. They custom design every cover, so every single hard cover that they design is unique, as well as selling special trade collections of hard-to-find comic books. They're not binding right now, but they have a ton of other good stuff going on. Go check them out on OmahaBound.com. And John, why don't you tell us about your podcast and where you can be found on the internet? Uh, just point your podcatchers at Married with Comics, and you can find our shows. Uh, under that banner, you will find the shows Married Watching Cartoons, where Maggie and I take turns bringing a cartoon that the other one uh, may not be all that familiar with, and then we watch and talk about it. Also, we cover the Rod Pod, which is the IDW Transformers Phase 2 comics. We cover those in order. And uh, we, we put those out, uh, at least for now, about every other week or the second and fourth weeks of the month. If there's a fifth week, then we put out an Encyclopedia Brown episode. I used to love Encyclopedia Brown. Yeah, loved we had a whole it. bunch of we, We've covered a bunch of them already. We take turns reading, reading them to each other and see if we can, re- if we can uh, solve the puzzle. It's a lot like you guys do that, too, with your One Minute Mysteries, which I think is written by the same guy. The LBC crew. I didn't nice. know that. Uh, they were. Interesting. Um, otherwise, uh, we're on Twitter. Twitter. I'm at MWC underscore podcast. And I am at Maggie and the Rain. Maggie and the Rain. We were holding. <laughs> <laughs> nah. you do, like, like, there's Maggie's farm. There's Rain Dance Rain Maggie. Dance. We did a whole outro with Rain Dance Maggie. That's true. You know what? All this time, like, I do all that talking, and we've never, like, how do we not put Pat in there and ask <laughs> That's not in the script. That's incredible. Pat, please tell us where you can be found. Well, Delvin, I'm glad you asked. You can find finally. Me. I, yes. I finally asked. Yes. All that talking, and now you finally asked me. <laughs> you know, you know, Delvin, you don't need to know where I am all that time. You can just find me on the Twitter at Christatos01. And where can they find you, Delvin? Because I'm going to make sure people can find you. Well, people need to find me, and they can find me at Twitter uh, at D-E-E underscore R-A-Y one nine seven seven. See y'all next time, and remember, freedom is the right of all sentient beings. To all are one. To all are one. one. Or they get their faces back on. You got the touch. You got the power. Yeah!
All songs, song clips, and characters discussed are copyright of their respective copyright holders, and no infringement is intended, and it is for entertainment purposes only. We are just fans that like to share our love of comics. Said and done what you've never run your Got the moves, you know the streets. You're nobody's fool You're at your best when the going gets rough You've been put to the test, but it's never enough You got the touch You got the power When all hell's breaking loose, you'll be right in the eye of the storm you got the heart You got the motion You know that when things get too tough You got the touch Fighter